You are listening to RudolfSteinerAudio.com. If you are listening to the podcast of this, it is located at RudolfSteiner.Podbean.com. Please consider becoming a patron. As well, there are two publishing houses, SteinerBooks.org in America and RudolfSteinerPress.com in England, who are the sole publishers of Steiner into English and have given me permission to do these recordings. Please consider patronizing them as well. This is a reading of a cycle of lectures by Rudolf Steiner entitled The Effects of Esoteric Development. This is uh, the reading of the introductory words by Rudolf Steiner given at The Hague on March 20, 1913, uh, before the first lecture. Dear Theosophical Friends, We are assembled together here for a cycle of lectures for the first time after those of our friends who were in a position to know the present state of our theosophical striving joined those members of the former German section of the Theosophical Society who, I can put it no other way, were expelled from our Theosophical Society. And now, since I must welcome you to this exceptionally important lecture cycle, let me also add some words to this cordial, theosophically heartfelt welcome. This is necessary because in the days and months to come, friends here will perhaps often have the opportunity to say a word or two concerning the true state of affairs of the events that recently occurred among us. From the various responses and statements that have appeared, one may gather that here or there it was considered unnatural that as far as our meetings, our internal meetings, are concerned, we chose the method of not allowing members of the Theosophical Society, to the extent that it is controlled by Adyar, into these internal meetings, Adyar being a place in India. It is clear that people have not universally accepted this needed measure as necessary, that in many places people thought that we would have done better to maintain the peace, or what is the same thing, not to have held so firmly to this measure. And yet, dear friends, if you truly consider all that has happened, you will, each of you, be able to agree Indeed, you will have to agree that in so grave an instance this measure had to be taken. Indeed, you need consider only that the German section did not just, to express it technically, leave the Theosophical Society, but that it was in all reality expelled, again for a reason that can be technically, although very peculiarly defined, in that some people even go so far as to dare say that the German section violated some statute of the Theosophical Society. Indeed, it is said that the German section excluded members of the Star of the East, that is, adherents of a certain opinion from its membership. Footnote, the Star of the East was the name given to the order formed to promote the young Krishnamurti as the reincarnated Christ. End of footnote. Here, we must consider everything that happened previously, on the other side, that is, the German section really had no choice but to exclude certain individuals from the meetings of the German section, not the members of the Star of the East as such, but certain individuals who had to be considered in Germany as members of the Star of the East. From the moment that the Star of the East entered Germany, it took a position that was clearly and intentionally hostile to the German section. That is, it tried hard to follow the policy, which among other things was reported in a, one could say strange, underhanded way, 
in the March issue of title The Theosophist. In other words, those who had taken up the banner of the Star of the East tried to present our work before the world as if we had descended to excluding from our endeavors any spiritual opinion or point of view. That was a cardinal accusation brought against the German section. And it was based completely on something that was objectively untrue. All measures of a more moderate nature were useless against such subversive activity that continually sought to blacken the entire character of our movement in the eyes of the whole world. As a result, we were forced, for the sake of our work, to conclude that we could not work with those in Germany who had joined the Star of the East. Similar attacks came also from individuals associated with the Star of the East in other countries. The steps then taken against the Star of the East were no more than a defensive measure, and whoever presents it otherwise is not telling the truth. They were a necessary defense, demanded because our work was not merely disturbed, but would have become simply impossible if we had not taken such a measure. It is characteristic of our work that people pointed out the existence of lodges among us that worked very differently than we did, and that not a hair of their heads was touched. We gave charters to lodges that stood for viewpoints very different from ours, but if lodges sought to be established with the expressed view of the Star of the East's subversive activity, whose very name already indicated attacks against us, not only against our work but against the truthfulness and honesty of our theosophical approach, then a defensive measure was needed, because had we created such lodges, we would by that token be insincere and unfaithful. And so we were faced with the necessity either of becoming deeply and inwardly untrue or of taking these defensive measures against the members of the Star of the East. Tactics can always be presented in a special light if one first compels someone to an action and then characterizes this action as unlawful. It must be said that one actually rarely finds people taking such measures in the world. One rarely finds that people behave in such a way. It remains reserved for the present Theosophical Society to act in this way to so high a degree. Moreover, if you read the letter directed through Mrs. Besant to the General Secretary of what was then the section, telling of the forthcoming exclusion of the German section, you will be able to consider this letter as anything other than a real expulsion. You will have to say that had the German section not viewed it in this way, it would have placed itself on a false footing. Then, too, you must also consider that these things were preceded by a circular letter on my part to the General Secretary in which I exhaustively laid out the situation. This circular letter contains the real source for judging the facts. It is distressing to experience that with the exception of the General Secretary of the Scandinavian section, who has meanwhile resigned, not a single person among the General Secretaries and in the General Council was in any way prepared to speak up to agree to what I had presented. Everything that came from the General Secretary's side was worded in such a way that it was assumed from the start 
that all the versions from the Theosophical Headquarters in Adyar were the only authoritative ones that could serve as a basis for judging the situation. This is one troubling fact that followed as a result of my circular letter of that time. You could say that when one witnesses this general deafness of the whole corporate theosophical body with regard to these most explicit facts, one would be justified in feeling overcome by pain at the fate of the Theosophical Society. The crown was then placed onto the whole system by Mrs. Besson's speech to the convention meeting of representatives in Adyar, in which she demonstrated that she lacked any possibility of finding a relationship to the feeling of duty one must have, first to test the facts and then to make a statement. Mrs. Besant, as everyone now knows, asserted there that I was educated by Jesuits. I cannot in all truth say what a slap in the face, in an absurd, foolish way, this assertion was, hurled at us during that same gathering by the head of the leadership of the Theosophical Society, just when, with many friends, including some from here, we gave our lecture cycle in Cologne, footnote, titled the Bhagavad Gita and the Epistles of St. Paul, and a footnote. That cycle confirmed, just recently, how strongly and truthfully we sought to stand on the good soil of the old Theosophical Society. You must feel, dear Theosophical friends, the whole anomaly of such a fact. Not only that this happened, but that Mrs. Besant had the audacity, the unenviable audacity, to fabricate an answer to the facts I presented in the newsletter of the Mitteilungen, in which I first com- I was first compelled to describe those facts, at the end of which she wrote that these would be her last words on this matter. Dear Theosophical Friends, after the experiences we have had up to now, there might perhaps still be, it might conceivably be the case that there still are, people in the Theosophical Society who still give some credence to this answer. In this answer you could look for one word that corresponds to the objective truth and not find it, because in this answer everything is turned on its head, so that precisely this turning on its head is done with an almost monstrous verbal attack. It borders on the miraculous that there can be anyone capable of turning things on their head in such a way. Every sentence contains something that is just the opposite of what happened. At the General Assembly in Berlin, that is, the meeting of the Anthroposophical Society, I did not refer to this document with a single word, in order not to take up any more time than already had been. Footnote, this was the meeting of February 3, 1913, the keynote address of which is contained in the prologue to this volume. End of footnote. I will not get into this document today, a document that anyone had only to read to see the spirit in which it was conceived. I will go into only one point because one cannot really see it immediately from the document. Toward the end, you will find a sentence that goes something like this, quote, Dr. Steiner says that the pamphlet by Dr. Volrat, Volrat, this refers to the printed pamphlet spoken of in such an intolerable way in the preceding General Assembly, merely repeated certain statements regarding Folrat's expulsion directed at me by Mrs. Besant. Anyone who can read will see 
that she says that this documentation by Dr. Fulroth's appeal exists. But she says more. She says, quote, If that pamphlet contains no more than the document directed to me by Dr. Fulroth, then it must be very harmless. Close quote. Her assertion that the pamphlet must be harmless, however, itself repeats the assertions contained in Dr. Folgat's appeal to Mrs. Bassant, which she, of course, claimed were harmless in the first place. Now, among these charges there is, for example, the point that Dr. Folgat sought to assert against me because, according to him, I enjoyed too high an income too greedily, and because my exercises were so markedly, in quotes, black magic, that countless people had become ill, and that some had even died, and that all those exercises were again only to gain magical powers rather than knowledge, and so on, and so forth. Of all these things, Dr. Fulrat affirmed that he was willing to provide evidence to Mrs. Bassat if she wanted it. This was the document that Fulrat sent to Ajar. Footnote. Hugo Fogart of Leipzig, a theosophical book dealer and publisher, was long a thorn in Steiner's side. Fogart was excluded from the German section in 1908, but not from the society. Annie Besant was informed of this by Rudolf Steiner. In 1911, Fogart demanded his reinstatement and published a libel against Rudolf Steiner. Simultaneously, he was elected, alongside Huber Schleiden, to represent the Order of the Star of the East in Germany. See title from the History and Contents of the Esoteric Section, which has recently been published. End of footnote. This letter lay before Mrs. Besant, and what I have mentioned was the part that pulled it all together. Mrs. Besant said of it, If Dr. Steiner maintains that this pamphlet contains only repetitions of that appeal, then this pamphlet must be of a very harmless nature. Close quote. Thus, Mrs. Bassant claims to be claims to the world that quote, Dr. Steiner wished to feather his own nest, parenthesis, whereas I actually declined an income, close quote, and gave exercises that were of the nature of black magic and made people ill, indeed from which people even died. Close quote. These accusations were in fact made at that time, and Mrs. Bassant, in order to present the matter to the world in her terms, called them harmless. This is how what Mrs. Besant dished up recently for her followers was cooked up. I do not want to add anything else to these things. They become more and more unbearable the more one adds to them. I would ask only whether the feelings we had at that time in Berlin, when our friends resolved to work so that the line could now finally be drawn, that is, whether we were justified in our feelings in assuming, assuming as self-evident, that our friends of their own accord would consider it impossible to speak to those who would later call themselves followers of Mrs. Besant. It would be a violation of all occult principles if we wished to speak to those who had, I must use the expression, thrown someone out, who had presented someone in such a light as Mrs. Besant had chosen to do. To go into things such as the march issue of titled The Theosophist is so repugnant to me that I will not do it. For there, dipped in a sugary sweet coating, is the most underhanded attack you could possibly conceive of. In principle you have seen this from the statutes of the Anthroposophical Society. We stand by the position that anyone can come to us. 
Those, however, who are incapable of looking into the truth regarding the affair we are dealing with, even when they claim they want to join us, declare that as a matter of principle they actually want us out of their corporate body. And behavior of the General Secretaries proves that we would be untruthful if we now took measures other than drawing the line between what we wanted and what was done not according to the principles, but against all principles of the old Theosophical Society, which is now within this Theosophical Society. I must also say something, however, dear Theosophical friends, about the other side of this whole affair. In fact, what I have said so far was necessary so that our friends would not be, as it were, put into the embarrassing situation of not knowing how to respond when this or that was spoken of. This is the only reason I had to say what I did, as a background to what I must now say to you as a kind of greeting. In truth, dear theosophical friends, I must confess that I myself, if I may speak to you for a moment, and the friendship you have shown me in a certain way justifies me in this. I feel that everything that has happened is, aside from all the bitterness and sorrow, also a great liberation, a liberation from precisely the narrowness that has weighed us down in the life of the Theosophical Society for years, beginning with that Munich Congress of the European Sections, where the attempt was then made to bring a timid but salient new note into the Theosophical Society, not on any nationalistic and one-sided basis of opinion, but on a truly broad contemporary foundation. Footnote. The Congress of the Federation of European Sections of the Theosophical Society took place in May of 1907. Whereas previously the Congresses had a more scientific character, Rudolf Steiner now sought to introduce an artistic impulse. End of footnote. When we did this, you could hear the judgment. What you have done is not theosophy, but something very different. A society based on occultism still contains, even when, in a certain sense, the individual may become free of its limits and boundaries, the forces that work spiritually or psychically. Yet it was simply impossible to raise what we may justifiably call occultism in all its broad-heartedness and adaptation to our present human cycle to its true value within the framework of the Theosophical Society. It is my hope, therefore, that if it is granted us to lead the Anthroposophical Society further, our friends will be convinced that the liberation from the Theosophical Society will bring not a narrowing, but rather a broadening of our occult striving. In the Anthroposophical Society, it will truly be possible to realize all kinds of things that were impossible to realize within the Theosophical Society because of preconceptions that confront a person with narrowly defined traditions. Those who have the desire will be able to see that. From now on, we must seek precisely the breadth of perspective needed in our present time. We must do this so that the part of humanity that understands will be able to benefit from what truly flows from the spiritual worlds into our time, into spiritual wisdom and spiritual will impulses. It therefore seems to me that this first lecture cycle celebrated here, the first lecture cycle of the newly founded Anthroposophical Society, is one most especially to be welcomed. The end of the introductory words.